0: Live from the Fremont Theatre in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. Every Sunday, my father would get on the train in Manhattan and take the Long Island Railroad out to Little Neck, Queens, where I would be waiting on the train platform with my mother and a stomachache. My parents divorced when I was one, and they hated each other. And they rarely spoke to each other after they divorced. So we'd have these very tense and awful handoffs on the train platform. And my mother would say something like, she needs a new winter coat, as if this was the least my father could do. So off we'd go into Manhattan on the train. My mother always called my father impossible. And the truth was, he kind of was impossible. (laughs) He was a terrible listener. He was one of those people that he never talked, he only yelled. <laughs> one night, we're at dinner, and uh, it's his wife and him and me, and he's, he's get, having trouble getting the pepper grinder to grind the peppers right. And so he's trying and trying and trying, and finally he yells, who the hell filled this pepper grinder? It's like I'm trying to push a cannonball through a mouse hole! I thought this was, like, one of the funniest things I had ever heard. (laughs) But I looked over at his wife, and she had tears in her eyes. So anyway, on these days that I would visit him in the city... Oh, i got to tell you something. One thing that was very weird about visiting him was my father was a complete secret to everyone. I told my friends that I was going to visit an uncle in the city. So when I went to visit him, it was as though a seam in the universe split, and I went through it like this, and the life with my mother didn't exist. And then when I went back to visit my mother, it was like the seam opened again, and I slipped through, and my father didn't exist in this world with my mother. The other thing was that my father insisted that I use his last name, Shore, But I wanted to have the same last name as my mother and my stepfather and my brother and sister, which was Rosenberg. So I was using the name Rosenberg in secret. And I was always afraid when I was with my father that he was going to find out that I was using this illegal name. So, on my days with my father, we went coat shopping to buy the winter coat that my mother was so desperate for him to buy. And so we go into Abraham and Strauss in Manhattan, and my father's yelling, where's the girls' coats, where's the girls' coats? Now my father did have, and I did have one thing in common, which was we both hate to shop. So we flew into Abraham and Strauss. I wore 6X in those days, which was the size for fat girls. And he flies through the rounder, finds the first 6X, puts it on me, buttons it up and goes, you look great, let's get out of here. This particular coat that I remember, I was maybe in third or fourth grade, and it was a green and orange plaid coat. Very, very stiff. And I hated this coat, it was so ugly. But still, I had to wear this coat. Anyway, when we weren't coat shopping, which we did once a year, we would go to his studio. My father was a sculptor and an illustrator and a painter. His studio was at 36 in Madison. And at those times, there was this incredible quiet that came over my father when he worked at his drafting table and he made his sculptures. We could be in the studio for hours. I might be lying on the couch, looking out the window, looking at the ceiling. And my father just had this incredible peace that came over him. Anyway, when I was 14, I moved with my mother's family to Boston. Now, my mother and father had made an agreement in their divorce that she was not allowed to move us more than 25 miles out of New York City. We moved to Boston. They never discussed it. And his child support checks just stopped coming. So I guess they called a silent truce. Anyway, when we moved, those visits with my father came to an abrupt end because I lived pretty far away. And I remember I was in high school and I said to my mother, we were going to be going to the city. Oh, by the way, my mother, ne- we never referred to him as dad. I called him dad when I was with him, but when I was with my mother, we called him Bob. So I said to my mother, I don't know like, if I should visit Bob when we go into the city this weekend. And she said, you know. Why don't you just think of it as if I was artificially inseminated? (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm still trying to bend my mind around that. (laughs) Anyway, when I was... um, Let me think. It was after college, I was back in the city again And I I had seen my father every once in a while, but I I did reach out and I did call him, I said, let's get together. So he invited me to come have dinner, not dinner, drinks, with him and his girlfriend. And so I get to the girlfriend's apartment, and we're sitting at her lovely little table having drinks, and the two of them are giggling like teenagers and they're very lovey-dovey, and I'm feeling like incredibly left out and really awful. And I was also having boyfriend problems at the time, so I was feeling just, you know, just awful anyway. So I thought, I'm going to try to get into their conversation. and you know. So I say, how did you two meet? Anyway, they both start laughing even more hysterically, and my father tells me the story, but he's laughing so hard, I can't even understand what he's saying. And so I feel even more like a fifth wheel, Anyway, maybe because of the boyfriend problems, maybe because I just felt so left out in that moment, my upset with everything, the the train, the the coat, the insemination, everything (laughs) just starts coming up and starts coming up more and starts coming up more. And I burst into tears and they both look at me like, what's wrong with her? And the girlfriend suggests, oh, I say, You're not being nice to me. It was like the only thing I could think of. The girlfriend suggests we go take a walk. So my father and I leave her apartment and we go down to the streets of Manhattan and we walk and we walk like you can in that city and we talk and we talk and I just tell my father everything. How horrible it was to hide about the name, the traveling between everything. And he was really quiet and really listened. It was like the first honest time we'd ever had together. We say goodbye and make plans to meet for breakfast the next morning before I ha- have to head back to Boston. And we meet at a diner. I sit down in the diner booth, and I look at the man sitting across from me. And it is not the man I left the night before. It's my father. But he's completely stone-faced. And he's mumbled something like, you should never talk to your father that way. But he won't even look at me. And so I burst into tears again. The waiter comes by to take our order. And I just say, I'll have tea with milk. The most animated thing my father said at that whole breakfast was, what, you're not eating? So at the end of the horrible breakfast, we go out to the sidewalk. I have to get a cab to go to the train station. And my father doesn't make a move. He's like standing on the sidewalk like a statue. So I hail the cab. I open the door to the cab. I pick my luggage and put it in the cab. He doesn't even close the door behind me. I shut the door behind me myself, and as the cab goes away, my father is just standing on the sidewalk like a statue. I go back to Boston, and I think, well, I guess that's over. It's finally done. That was summer. That fall, my phone rings. Now, before I pick up the phone in the story, I have to tell you, my father was Jewish. I am three-quarters Jewish. That's not really a thing in Judaism. Either you are or you're not, but I'm (laughs) three-quarters. Anyway, I pick up the phone, and my father's voice comes booming out over the phone, Happy Rosh Hashanah! Now, what was so weird about this is we never had talked about even being Jewish. We had never even celebrated any Jewish holidays together. Now, that wasn't a secret, but we, it just never came up. I mean, it's like we already knew we were Jewish. It was nothing to talk about. <laughs> so we have this fairly pleasant conversation. Nobody mentions the girlfriend. Nobody mentions that horrible time at the diner. And little by little, my father and I start to get together again. He meets my fiance, and the two men get along. He comes to my wedding. When I gave birth to my daughter, that man who hates to fly more than he hates anything except maybe shopping, got on a plane and flew to Portland to meet his granddaughter. So a couple months before my father died, we were sitting in his living room, and he looked over at me And he said, you know, we've been through a lot together. And I felt such a deep connection with this man. And it it meant so much to me, especially after such a fraught time, especially when I was young. And then a couple of days before he died, when he couldn't talk and was feeling very anxious about what was happening, I could take his hand. And we had many, many moments of just eye to eye, and I felt just such a deep connection with him. Anyway, this past summer, it's been almost three years, almost to the day since my father died, last summer I was in New York, and I went to his apartment. And his wife took out some old photo albums. And I was looking through these old photo albums, many of the photographs I'd never seen before. And there was one that really struck me, and I picked it up. And it's of me, and I'm about five or six years old. And it's one of those photographs where you can see the woman in the little girl. And you can also see that the photographer who was my father loved his subject. And I've got a huge smile on my face. And I turn the photograph over. Oh, but wait, I'm wearing a beautiful brocade coat. And I've got my hands like this, like, like I'm a little grandma clutching my mink stall. And I turn the photograph over, and on the back of the photograph, in my father's sprawling handwriting, it says, Gigi's new coat.